Coming up on A Vision for You, December 16th, Sunday, a speaker's meeting at 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time. Sunday, December 23rd, special edition, Allergy of the Body, Obsession of the Mind, 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time. Sunday, December 30th, it's our Attitude of Gratitude meeting. That'll be at 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time. Stay tuned for New Year's specials, all offered by A Vision for You, where the big book comes to life. Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, A Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Leah and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Friday, December 14th. 2012. Today we are reading from the big book. You'll find us in the chapter Into Action on page 82, the second full paragraph beginning with If We Have No Such Complication. Today's readers are Paula, Monica, Sarah, Kim, and Sharon. The share code for yesterday's meeting, that's Thursday, December 13th, is 3501. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now call on Lois to read the 12 steps. Good morning, everyone. This is Lois, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in uh, Massachusetts. The 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food. Our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory of ourselves, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him. Eleven, um, I mean, twelve, 
<laughs> having had a, pers- a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. I will now call on Rose to read the 12 traditions. Thank you. This is Rose, a compulsive overeater. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants they do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever nonprofessional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never to be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never to be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I pass. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. And today we resume our study of the big book. We're in the chapter entitled Into Action on page 82, the second full paragraph beginning with if we have no such complication. And I will ask Paula to begin reading. This would be Paula Recovered Compulsive Reader. 
If we have no such complication, there is plenty we should do at home. Sometimes we hear an alcoholic say that the only thing he needs to do is to keep sober. Certainly he must keep sober, for there will be no home if he doesn't. But he is yet a long way from making good to the wife or parents, whom for years he has so shockingly treated. Passing all understanding is the patience mothers and wives have had with alcoholics. Had this not been so, many of us would have no home today, would perhaps be dead. Much has been said about this paragraph, but what a paragraph it is about truth, not the lie anymore. And it says, if we have no such complications, as was in the paragraph stated before, what some of the complications may be. And then it says, so we think, there's quite a few there. But then it says, there is plenty we should do at home, even barring that those complications may not even exist. Why at home? There are often the most damage is done. Home is where the heart is. Oh, truly. Broken, damaged hearts and lives. And then it says, and I'm going to scoot right down, yes, but he is yet a long way from making good to the wife of parents whom for years he has so shockingly treated. That way, but this here, but he is yet a long way, but he is on his way. He is on his way now with clarity from making good to the wife of parents whom for years he has so shockingly treated because he's not living the lie anymore. He's seeing the damage, the damage that he has done. You know, no man is an island. We go along trudging through life, trudging on people, trudging with words, trudging with thoughts, deeds. And we say, well, I didn't harm them. No, I, I, yeah, I harmed myself because now I have all the complications of, oh, many more many more. They go way beyond the physical realm. But then he says, and I just, this part, passing all understanding is the patience mothers and wives have had with alcoholics. You see, they still love them. They still love them. And that's the basis of that patience. Had this not been so, many of us would have no homes today and would perhaps be dead. Yes, in more ways than one. But we were granted that, and we have much to learn from that. Patience of another. Thank you for allowing me to share, and with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Hi, this is Kim. Kim, good morning. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. Sometimes we hear an alcoholic say the only thing he needs to do is to keep sober. Oh, is that so familiar? That's that classic dry drunk. You know, sometimes we hear it. I'll tell you, unfortunately, sometimes we hear it in the rooms of OA. Just just don't, just don't eat and go to meetings. Just don't eat and go to meetings. Well, I have to tell you, that's a life of living restless, irritable, and discontent. Because we have this twofold illness. We have the allergy of the body, which is addressed by, by abstinence. But the larger part of our disease, the larger part of our, our uh, disease is the obsession of the mind. And that is not treated with abstinence. That is not treated with sobriety. That is treated with these steps. And right now we're at the, we're at the end of step nine. 
So this is what the work that we have to do so we can become happy, joyous, and free. And those around us, if we are not working these steps, if we are just abstinent, we think to ourselves, they should be happy we're just not eating. They should be happy that I'm losing weight. I'll tell you, sometimes I think they probably think to themselves, oh, for God's sake, just have a candy bar. Shut up. You know, we can be nasty. We can be really nasty when we're abstinent only. So we have to understand that it is this work. It is that separation from God that is the largest part of our disease. That's why we're restless. That's why we're irritable. And that's why we're discontent. And it's walking through this process that's going to reunite us with God. Because my goal today, my goal needs to be not that I'm abstinent. Abstinence will give you the clarity of thought to do the real work. My goal needs to become recovered, to become reunited with my higher power. And that's going to be through the work of the steps. So sometimes we hear an alcoholic say that the only thing he needs to do is to keep sober. And that is a recipe for restless, irritable, and discontentment. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Robin. Good morning, Robin. Go ahead. Uh, this, good morning. This is Robin. I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, you know, I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking of all of the the times that I um, promised that I was going to do something about my bad behavior. All the, um, you know, the commitments to food plans, the commitments to diets, the commitment to cleaning up my act that I made to my husband. Um, and there was a whole lot of trust that he'd lost in me. Um, I, had, I had proved to him that I was unreliable and I wasn't present for my kids. And, you know, just getting sober, just stopping the eating, that's one thing, and it's very important. But there is so much old, um, old stuff that I need to take care of so that I can... It, a large part of it for me was paying back my husband you know, I, I could see that he had hung in there with me through all of that hard stuff that that I had gone through, all the hard stuff that he'd gone through. He'd hung in there with me. And um, it isn't enough just to, to, to put down the food. Um, there are these sweet relationships that I had totally mangled because I was so self-centered. And it was so important. It's it's been so important for me to to um, to be honest about all this, so that I can go back and do the right thing with the people who stood by me while I was my sickest. So, um, you know, there's more work to do than just putting down the food, and that's what we're talking about here. Thanks. I'll pass. Thank you, Robin. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Uh, this is Lois. Can I share? Of course, Lois. Hi, hi. Good morning, everyone. Um, well, this is this is the ninth step, and um, and this is where, you know, I have learned through the fourth step, you know, um, about my own behavior. God was show. I had asked Him in the third step to show me um, what what I need to know, and and with with God's help and and my sponsor, you know, I learned so much in the fourth step about my selfishness, my self-centeredness, and my fear-driven 
behavior. And and then when I continued on and 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 asked him to remove these defects of character, you know, I I was this this was for me this was all about humility, you know, that I had, and and he did the you know this did this did come true. I was able to see you know my part of these mangled relationships, and where I had tread you know right through rough rough <laughs> roughly over you know anyone or anything in my way in my own self-centered selfish passive, aggressive, people-pleasing way, you know, so that I hid behind so many other things that God was revealing these things to me. And so, you know, when I, when I read this, I, at first I thought that most of my behavior had been, you know, what I had not done. You know, I had not been able to, to love my, my family as much as I was not able to be there and, and to make, you know, to, for the needs of others, to put the needs of others uh, the peace of others ahead of myself, so that you know, I thought that this was maybe one of my major, you know, character defects. But but God was still revealing this to me, and so you know, with humility, you know, and 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 fear, you know, I I I approached this ninth step, and and with my sponsor's help and God's help, one you know, a little bit at a time, because He was still revealing things to me. And um, and a lot of these things, you know, came up naturally in my relation, my ongoing relationships with others, that now had, you know, had changed because I had changed. He had given me a um, a spiritual experience, and I was able to see, you know, and, and act differently, you know, which which was some of the promises come true. And so as I, as I began to make these direct amends, I was also changing my behavior. And 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 softening my my understanding of who I was in each relationship. So, you know, to me, this was the beginning of the work. You know, of the rest of the steps, for which I I was very grateful, and also very reverent. So, uh, with that, I'm going to pass. Thank you. Thank you, Lois. This is Sarah. Can I share? Yes, Sarah. Go right ahead. Um, and a lot of people are, are sharing on this, but um, sometimes we hear an alcoholic say that the only thing he needs to do is keep sober. And then um, passing all understanding is the patience mothers and wives have had with alcoholics. Had this not been so, so many of us would have no homes today. So, you know, I hear on, on other meetings, um, abstinence is the most important thing I do each day. You know, that may be true, in order for me to be able to do everything else. But it's not the most important thing for me that I do each day. For, the most important thing is for me to connect with God and to hear what I need to hear and see what I need to see and um, and to work these steps. And recently I had uh, made an amends to my husband um, because, you know, in working this sometimes, you know, you 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 work this and you experience this well i i'm going to say for me that i you know i i so love this work and i so uh, um experience this this feelings of recovery and this spiritual connection to my creator and everybody else in my world so i you know can i'm so easily able to to succumb to self-righteousness and to think well you know, well, they're just, you know, sick, and I try to be patient with other people's behaviors, and then I um, I act in, in ways that are not appropriate. And I, you know, so I had to make an amends for, you know, speaking and, and 
getting a little bit too cocky and um and saying hurtful things and you know to this man who in my darkest days stood by me and didn't give up when i was in such ugly dungeons of places and you know and it's so easy to forget that it's so easy to forget that when you know as you trudge the road of happy destiny to forget the dark dungeons of and the bitter morass of self-pity that you've been through and and then when other people are going through their dark days and they're not necessarily behaving in the way that you would have liked and you start to run the show or me I start to run the show so I needed to make an amends and you know and it was and I worked it through with my sponsor first and I did a whole you know host of step work on just the feelings that you know came up and you know it's if I would only think about sobriety and I would only think about abstinence, I never would have faced my own behaviors in the discontent that I that I felt. And I never would have been able to repair, you know, the hurt that I had caused, even if I would have felt that I was justified in that in that hurt. And this step work forces me to stay on my side of the street. If I'm only focused on abstinence, I'm never even putting on the glasses. I can't even see. And, you know, and thank God for this work because, you know, and, able, and I was able to go with the humility and the, and the ability to face and to admit face-to-face. She would not let me write him a letter. I'd have to face him face-to-face and admit my self-centeredness, my self-righteousness, my dishonesty, my fears, and my behaviors, even if I had felt justified in them at a certain point. So, you know, if we only stay in step zero of abstinence, we don't ever get to experience or to see the healing and the closeness that would have so could have easily turned into a destruction of the most precious relationship on earth, that of husband and wife, and the connection between parents and child. So, you know, abstinence is not the most important thing in my day, and um, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Sarah. My name is Leigh. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I, too, wanted to comment on this part. Sometimes we hear an alcoholic say that the only thing he needs to do is to keep sober. I mean, obviously, it's imperative that we uh, put down the food, that eliminate we eliminate all those substances. Um, you know, it would be absurd uh, to think that for instance, an alcoholic could implement these steps and principles while still drinking. Well, same goes for us. Sometimes we hear an alcoholic say that the only thing he needs to do is to keep sober. I mean, once I eliminate those binge foods of mine, uh, the monkey may be off my back, but the circus is still in town, meaning that the greater aspect of my disease (laughs) resides between my mind, my thinking, my attitudes, my ideas. It says certainly he must keep sober for there will be no home if he doesn't, but he is yet a long way from making good to the wife or the parents whom for years he has so shockingly treated. Yes, I mean, the secret of these 12 steps and these principles that we study and implement in our lives is that it is indeed 
possible to be able to effectuate such a dramatic change in our personality, in our character, and in our values. So, uh, you know, what's the aim and the goal and the objective of the program of recovery? It's way more than abstinence, you know, (laughs) more than just the simple elimination of binge foods. The program of recovery gets us to a place called recovered, where there is wholeness and soundness and restoration, and my life has been reordered and renewed and reborn, and there is a new happiness. And the program of recovery takes us on a journey where it transforms our mind from a self-centered existence to a God-centered existence to a God-centered existence. So I'm no longer governed by me, myself, and I. I'm no longer governed by my own demands and wishes and specifications on life. Instead, what if we are governed by principles, principles like love, principles like grace, like unity, like cooperation and service? What if that's how I'm governed under my roof with my husband and with my children? What if that's how I'm governed? How if, what if that's the way I align myself? My life is based on the ideas I produce in my mind. Whatever I direct my life towards, that's what's going to run my life. So thank God today my life is not dominated by, by self-destruction. My life is dominated by these principles and by the grace and mercy of God. That's my standard today. (laughs) That's my standard. That's our standard. In that way, we can lay down these principles on every facet of our life and look through our life through the prism, look at our life through the prism of the program and these very principles. And with that, I pass. Anybody else like to comment before we move on? This is Katie. Katie, go ahead. Hi, I'm Katie, a compulsive overeater in Virginia. And this paragraph to me is talking about um, the fact that, you know, these years that we have uh, spent in destruction, you know, we can make our amends and and people will forgive us. But it's going to take time. It's going to take time for them to really believe that we mean it this time. You know, because a lot, most of us have quit more than once. And certainly that's true with alcoholics. They've, they've sworn off forever. They've um, said, I'll never do it again. They've made promise after promise. So sometimes our closest people are the hardest ones to convince that we really mean it. And that's why we have a fellowship, because we don't have to spend every day convincing our spouse or our parents or whoever's in your life that you really mean it. We just keep growing deeper in our relationship with God and in working this program. And, you know, I always question people who, after they've put the food down, um, just it sounds like they've made their food plan um, just they have a weight and measured uh, or, you know, they're still, still obsessed with the food, whether it's absent food or, or the, you know, their old food. And that's not what this program is. You know, we, we take the action to get our food. We make sure we have it. 
But, you know, if we can't afford to buy, you know, uh, organic everything, then we don't do that. We do what we can do in our own family. And if someone is just obsessed with their food, then to me they're living um, this sentence of the only thing he needs to do is to keep sober. If we're focused on our food plan and um, getting everything we need every time and blah, 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 uh, then there's something missing. And this chapter is into action and it's moving beyond um, just putting the plug in the jug. It's about living life one day at a time as a new person without us. Thank you very much. We'll move on to the next paragraph now with Monica, please. Good morning. Thank you, Leah. This is Monica. I'm a compulsive, recovered compulsive overeater. The alcoholic is like a tornado roaring his way through the lives of others. Hearts are broken. Sweet relationships are dead. Affections have been uprooted. Selfish selfish and inconsiderate habits have kept the house in turmoil. We feel a man is unthinking when he says that sobriety is enough. He is like the farmer who came up out of the cyclone cellar to find his home ruin. To his wife, he remarked, don't see anything the matter here, Ma. Ain't it grand the wind stopped blowing? Wow. Um, in the prior paragraph and in this paragraph here, they're, they're trying to get across to us here that abstinence is not the only thing. You know, abstinence is very important. But we have a spiritual illness and we need a spiritual solution. And abstinence is the first spiritual act that we do in getting to this. But we need our spiritual program to help us with the rest of life. You know, when I was reading this, the alcoholic is like a tornado roaring through the lives of others. And it brought to my mind, remember, I don't know, some of you will relate to this. There used to be a cartoon when I was growing up, the Tasmanian devil, and he just roared his way through everything. Well, you know, that's the way I was while I was in the food, and that's the way I was when I put the food down because Monica was still crazy in the head. And you know, they say when you put the food down, you feel things better, you know? Yeah, you feel everything better. The, 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 uh, the resentments, the fears, and everything were crazy. And this is why we need a spiritual program to solve this problem, to help us get the personality change, the personality awakening that we need for recovery. And that's called working the steps. So the steps are for us to bring about this change. And so we don't have to stay in this tornado-like state, which is what is going to happen if we don't do the steps. Because if we don't do the steps, nothing else has changed in our, lo- in our lives. Nothing has changed in our thinking, in our attitudes. And that's where God comes in. It's God, it's God, it's God. The spiritual solution to this spiritual problem. And then we can look at life and see life the way it is and live 10, 11, and 12 and be a sane person instead of a tornado in everybody's lives. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? 
This is Janice. Janice, your turn. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, Vision for You. My name is Janice. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. You know, there is uh, there is something wonderful to look at in this paragraph. You know, to think about to think about what this person is is saying. This man, this farmer. I love this example because when I came up out of the food, when I put the food down, you know, what did I want? What did I want? I wanted the chaos to stop. I wanted the insanity in my head to stop. I wanted that monkey chatter to quiet down. I wanted to feel some peace around the food. And when the food was down, I found I I wanted to get clean and stay clean, but how was that going to happen? How was that going to happen? Because it couldn't be, you know, when I came out and I looked around and, you know, my head is up out of the food and I'm thinking, oh, thank God, thank God, that release, that release from the craving. But it was only the beginning because what I saw was what that tornado had done. Things were uprooted. It says that here. Affections have been uprooted. I think about what it means when a tornado goes through an area. You know, trees are downed. Things are out of the ground. Houses are destroyed. Everything's in chaos. And it's the aftermath of that tornado that I was. It's the aftermath of that tornado. And it's going to take some time to replant. It's going to take some time to rebuild. But it was hard to look at. It was not easy to look at that. You know, but thank God we have the steps and the spiritual awakening that was happening to me. It was happening to me as I worked the steps. Sometimes I couldn't even see how it was happening to me, but other people could see how it was happening to me. And if I continued to have that willingness, that willingness to do whatever it took, then I was going to be able to look. You know, I was going to not be unthinking because that's what I was in the disease, unthinking, unable to think clearly, unable to see what was happening right around me, unable to see how I was harming other people, how I was hurtful, how my life was in chaos. You know, I thought my problem was the food. And if I had control over the food, I could put the food down. Well, that wouldn't, wouldn't that solve all the rest of what was my problem? But I began to see there was an ever, ever deeper recovery in store for me. That it was going to be about rebuilding, rerooting those things. You know, replanting, rebuilding. And this paragraph is so wonderful at showing me exactly what that was like, giving me an example in human nature. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Christy. Christy, good morning. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, a vision for you. I love this line. You know, you got to love this line. Ain't it grand the wind stopped blowing? There is a huge difference between the wind blowing and a tornado. You know, the wind blows and, you know, leaves rustle. 
a tornado comes through and trees are uprooted, uprooted. You know, I've, I've seen the aftermath in my own neighborhood. Thank God my home was untouched. But, you know, we had a tornado come through Minneapolis a few years ago. And, you know, huge trees, huge, 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 you know, mature growth trees that had been around forever, completely uprooted and, you know, knocked on their side and you could see these huge roots exposed to the air. That's what a tornado does. You know, the wind just blows leaves around, you know, and messes up my hair. But, uh, you know, that's the way I uh, may have perceived my behavior. You know, I didn't do that much damage. You know, ain't it grand the wind stopped blowing? You know, and I'm looking at the aftermath of, of the destruction of my behavior in active addiction. You know, I, um, for me, I, uh, you know, I needed feedback, certainly from recovered people, but also feedback, you know, from people whose lives I've been a part of. I'll never forget my partner, you know, and I had been together for 13 years, and 11 of those were in active addiction, and all of a sudden I wanted to talk about God and what I thought spirituality was, and my partner said, whoa, hold on. You know, any conversations that were ever started with a sense of spirituality or anything like that, I completely shut off and said, there is no God. I don't even want to talk about that. And now all of a sudden I wanted to talk about it. And, um, you know, I needed to give other people time. You know, I needed to give other people time and I needed to give them their process for, um, you know, just getting used to this kind of new idea, this new Christie, this new behavior with me. And I, you know, I needed to work out my stuff with other people who were recovered and, and who were also trudging this road of, ha of happy destiny with me. But, you know, I needed other people to, you know, again, the people whose lives in the aftermath of my addiction, they needed to, you know, kind of get used to this behavior. And I didn't need to point out to them every five minutes that I was changing. I didn't need to do that. I just needed to keep doing what the big book outlined for me to do one day at a time and, you know, you know, let them be able to say, time will tell. Time will tell if this thing's going to stick with Christy. You know, time will tell. And, um, you know, that's what has happened for me. I've completely transformed. So the people that were in my life before I was in recovery who are still in my life after I've been in recovery have been able to see that. But, you know, it took some of those people a little bit of time. You know, let's, let's take a wait-and-see attitude. And I had to allow that, you know, even though I was absolutely blown away by what recovery had done for me, um, completely amazed, and I felt the change immediately. I knew this was something that could possibly work for me after the first day I was abstinent. I clung to that. I had I changed? No. Except that I, you know, nothing had changed and everything had changed by me, you know, being abstinent that first day. Um, but it really has been, you know, one day at a time for me and all the people who were in my life when I was in active addiction. And, uh, you know, I'm grateful that I've been able to trudge the road of happy destiny with those people as well. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Christy. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Paula Hi, Mancia. Paula, and then I couldn't catch the other name. Melanie? Yeah. Melanie. Okay. In that order, please. Thank you. This would be Paula. 
you know, it, it's so very written so graphically here. You know, but the first thing I see is they talk about a um, the alcoholic is like a tornado. And here we see in comparison, it's like a blast of truth. Here was a blast of truth for us. And then he goes on to describe, and it seems, can this be it? Rowing through the waves. Uh, now look at how graphic. Hearts are broken. Hearts are broken here. This is the truth. But you see, the truth will make you free. You must see. And then it says, sweet relationships are dead. They're dead. Affections have been up, uprooted. All this, it's so graphic when it says it. I didn't want to look at this. I didn't want to look at the truth. But see, I had to look at the truth. I had to realize, and does it not say in the family afterward, it would make a skeptic of anyone? Oh, yes, when I first came into program, when I first came in, and you know the person that was in the meeting, she don't she sound grand. She sure does for an hour. But what about the family that lives with you 24 hours? And see there, don't see anything the matter here. Unless I saw something the matter, why would I change? Why would I realize the need for God totally in my life? Thank you for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. Thank you. Melanie. Hi, good morning. My name is Melanie. I'm a compulsive overeater. I wanted to give just a bit of an illustration of what it was like at my house. And um, when the saying goes, um, when mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, that would be kind of a cute way to say that. When I would walk into a room, the children would look at me with this scared look in their face and so would my husband. What was the temperature like? What condition, what mental attitude was the mom in today? And what would we have to do? Would we have to hop to in fear and terror? Or would we be able to relax and sit here for a moment? They never knew. And as I watched um, my children grow through, the, through their ages, you know, that terror turned to different attitudes towards me. I watched my husband's shoulders slump over time, over years, over years, and they continued to do what it was I wanted to do. The, the whole household was oppressed because it had to be my way. I had the better idea. I knew what was best for everybody, and I was not hesitating at all to share that in the most horrific way. I've always been told that you can't unring a bell, and that certainly is um, true in many ways, except in the realm of God, working through the steps. My husband stands a whole lot taller now because of the step work and the transformation, the subsequent transformation that's happened in my particular situation in my life. I don't believe that I... Number one, could have stayed abstinent had there not been a behavioral change. It came as a result of the continual working of the steps to see what it was in my place and in my part that happened. And then I had to behave my way, act my way into a better way of living so that that negative sense in my mind, the, the, the newfound idea about maybe building some integrity would continue to grow, which keeps that pathway open to my higher power. That's just the process here. 
I had a, this is an example of a living amends. It was necessary, critical part of my connection with my higher power, and in some way, shape, or form, begin that process out of humility and true gratitude to unring that bell. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Melanie. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Kim. Kim, please. Good morning, everyone, again. Selfish and inconsiderate habits have kept the home in turmoil. This tornado is so devastating, you know, but we like to think sometimes, no, that's true with the alcoholic, but I I just ate too much. I only hurt myself. I wasn't that tornado. That's true for alcoholism only. And there was a study done years ago where it took the effect on children between a workaholic and an alcoholic. And the effect was the same because the children didn't care whether their father was in a bar or the father was in their office working. All the children knew was that they weren't a priority. They were home alone because the parents were out. So whether the parent is at the bar or stuck in their bedroom binging their brains out, the children don't care. They just know the parent is unavailable. You know, we have to understand these selfish and inconsiderate habits that we had. They, they cur- cause turmoil. You know, I think Melanie put it so beautifully. You know, they, in the big book where it says we were the grouch or the brainstorm. You know, when I was in the food, I was the grouch. I was constantly, constantly in collision with others. But when I got abstinent, I was the brainstorm. I was someone with sudden outbursts. People walked on eggshells around me. They never knew. They never knew who was going to walk through that door. So they were constantly having to be on guard because I was putting wreckage everywhere. And with a tornado, it wreaks havoc, but whoever is closest to that cyclone, whoever is closest to that storm has the most devastation. So we like to think, oh, we just hurt ourselves, but it's those closest to us that are going to feel the most turmoil, the most devastation because that's where we concentrate our selfish and inconsiderate habits. So we think so often, we think, well, the food is different. We're so good at thinking the food is different. We were only hurting ourselves. And how will we understand this? Because when we go step through step four and five, and we see how how our behavior has hurt others, how we see that by only thinking of what we can get out of life, We were hurting those around us. And we see through 6 and 7 is those character defects that were blocking us from God and our fellows. And now as we go through 8 and 9, and we have to go back and we have to face those reparations of the past. We have to face what we have done to others. But we're going to see that we were that tornado. And it is going to take time, and it is going to take consistency in our behavior for those to believe that this time is different, that this is different than the commercial diet program that we've done in the past, that this is about a transformation of our mind, that this spiritual program is going to bring us to a place where we can connect it again with ourselves, with God, and with our fellows. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. I'd like to comment on this as well. It says, the alcoholic is like a tornado roaring his way through the lives of others, Hearts are broken, sweet relationships are dead. 
affections have been uprooted. I mean, the big book does not mince words here, um, letting me know, you know, that this is not just about, uh, you know, a few excess pounds or a lot of excess pounds. This is about, um, you know, tearing through people's lives and and causing harm and causing harm. You know, the big book talks about it on page 18 as well when it says an illness of this sort, and we have come to believe it an illness, involves those about us in a way no other human sickness can. If a person has cancer, all are sorry for him and no one is angry or hurt. But not so with the alcoholic illness, for with it there goes annihilation of all the things worthwhile in life. It engulfs all whose lives touch the sufferers. It brings misunderstanding, fierce resentment, financial insecurity, disgusted friends and employers, warped lives of blameless children, sad wives and parents. Anyone can increase the list. And, you know, who that made me swallow hard. But, you know, through these steps, step four in particular, that first action step where I start taking a look at my behavior and my thinking and the way I roared through people's lives and, you know, took it through these steps, I realized that, um, you know, hey, everybody's not going to stand up and cheer just because, you know, I'm eating four ounces of chicken. <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, my angry, my depressed, my withdrawn, my rageful and sullen behavior had affected people. Um, you know, before the program of recovery, uh, I was about to get booted out of my marriage. You know, I had to take a look at these selfish and inconsiderate habits of mine that kept my uh, home in a turmoil because my life was based on my wishes and my demands and my specifications and, and you know, how can you make me feel good at this minute because I'm uncomfortable on this planet. And so everybody has to run around trying to make Leia feel comfortable. You know, that will, of course, that led to my destruction, but it also destroyed other people's lives as well. So the program of recovery put me together the way, you know, God meant me to be. But it did take time. You know, there's no statute limitations on a broken heart. It took time. We become what we practice. How do we get well? How do we enable our families to get well? We work at it. We become what we practice. This program of recovery, these action steps, these principles that we study every day and that we try our best to implement in all facets of our lives produces a new person living a new way of life. And that is called a transformation. And if it sounds profound, it is. It is. You know, God doing for me what I could not do for myself. This program of recovery brought me back to be what God intended me to be. And that is to grow and to change deeply. And it's brought about by sustained practice of this design for living. And with that, I pass. Anybody else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Patricia. May I comment? Yes. Yes, I, when I read that, I when, don't see anything the matter here, Mom. Any, ain't it grand that the wind stopped blowing? When I read that and I understood what that meant, that's exactly what I thought in the beginning when I put down the food. I thought, oh, everything is fine now. 
And then when I started going through the steps with my recovered sponsor, and I saw when I got to steps four and five, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. And when I realized the selfish self-centeredness and and all my behavior and how it affected everyone, and it was like, oh, my goodness, look at this mess I made. I made this. You know, I am the one that did all this mess. What in the world was I thinking or not thinking? Uh, you know, I really thought I was a good person. I thought I was helping everybody. I thought I would be you know, blah, blah, blah. But the truth is, is that now, now that, you know, over a year has passed and I've been working this program and I've been, you know, working and working and, and seeking my higher power and, and now I'm starting to actually see the fruits of this work, you know, because like, like you know, many of us have known that just because we say our, our people in our lives aren't going to believe us, just because we say we're sorry, are we really, you know, hey, yeah, you said that, we've heard that over and over again, we've heard that, sorry, I'm so sorry, you know, we've heard it over and over, but to actually live it and to have... You know, um, my husband say that he enjoys me now. You know, to Patricia Star One to unmute. Can you hear me? Now we can. I don't know. I I unmute it and then it. Then the machine, the conference machine comes on. Oh, man. Anyways, I don't know how much. Did you hear any of it? We sure did. We heard it. Okay. Well, well, basically, it just boils down to seeing and keep on seeing, okay, that I am, I have a disease, a disease that's doing push-ups, a disease that's not going to leave me alone, that selfish self-centeredness is still in there. It doesn't go away unless I need to stay spiritually fit and I only have a daily reprieve, that's it, of my ugly behavior, of my eating, all of it. It's only, it's only that's all I have. And to clean up and to be good and to allow other people to be, just leave them alone. Let them make their mistakes. You know, let them be you know, is, is a lot of practice. It, this, is a, this is a lot of practice because, you know, they're still not doing it the way I want, <laughs> you know, and I'm still not God, you know, and, and it's, it's a real, you know, I'm 50 years old or a little over 50, and I've been doing this for a long time, this way of thinking, so it doesn't go away overnight. It doesn't go away in a year, you know, just because I acknowledge it. And you know what I'm grateful for, though? is that when I do fall and get into my ugly behavior and my, you know, controlling behavior, that it's quick. I, 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 I look at it quick. It, it's like it comes to me quickly now that I'm, I'm quickly to make amends. I see it quick, and it doesn't last, you know. And, um, and, I, it, it, so, and I'm sorry, and I'm genuinely sorry, and I don't, you know, but um, it's still it's still there. It doesn't go away. I, I haven't seen it go away. If, if I'm not spiritually fit, it'll come back, you know, and that's what I need to share. Thank you. Thank you so much, Patricia. And we're out of time now. Thank you to everyone 
around the room who shared this morning, participated in the meeting. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Sarah, will you please read a vision for you? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.